Alan Shearer. It's Shearer for you, Gunther. The way he brought that down was fabulous. Cantonar. Yes, hello and welcome to another episode of the Shooting Czars Euros podcast. I'm Stuart Marshall and with me as always is Bryce Conway and Alex Grant. Boys, what a weekend it proved to be. Hello. Hey, Stewie. How you going, mate? Hey, Stewie. Bryce. How was the weekend, boys? Granty, we'll start with you. Your team, our team, England. They got the all-important result last night against Croatia. A 1-0 win thanks to a Raheem Sterling winner but it wasn't that convincing was it how did you say it yeah i loved it i thought it was a great game um i think especially the first 20 minutes england dominated i think croatia got back into the game and i think that croatia really are they're a bit of an awkward team to play against um they've got a few players probably who weren't involved in the world cup and they're trying to mould together an, a new kind of squad. But I thought they, they definitely came into the game after about 20 minutes in England, after being on the front foot, really kind of, I don't know, struggled to grab hold of the game uh, before half-time. But in the second half, the early goal definitely helped and uh, England managed to hold out from there, really. But credit to Croatia as well, because they played quite well and I think they can take some confidence out of the performance as well. Bryce, how did you see things? I mean, Croatia are a good team, remember? They did make the World Cup final. Um, I think a lot gets made of England's games, whether they win, lose or draw. How did you uh, view the game last night? Uh, well, I'm a bit fortunate I'm not in the studio next to Grant because I disagree with him quite a bit with his uh, sentiments towards the game. I feel Croatia's team is way too similar to the side that played in the World Cup and it's quite an ageing side and they just looked tired and slow. Whereas England's got a refreshed squad with a lot of young talent and new ideas coming through. Um, I thought that, again, I agree with Grant in that first 15 to 20 was immense. And I thought in that first, that opening, those opening stages, I thought, geez, England are going to win the tournament here. It was fantastic with Foden hitting the post. He was looking fantastic at the start. I thought Harry Kane was uncharacteristically lethargic and the attack really didn't work for England. But I thought that the defence and midfield was immense. Uh, Calvin Phillips, I would have thought, I, in my eyes, he was man of the match. I think for a lot of people, he was man of the match. Um, and Sterling got it. And I thought he really struggled despite the goal. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I thought Bellingham coming on was awesome. I mean, he's the youngest player to ever play in the European Championships now. Uh, we'll have a question for the listeners into who, who was the youngest before him. But we'll crack on with that later. But mm. I just thought Mings was really good as well. I thought he read the game extremely well as a, as a young as a centre-back there. And I thought his distribution is obviously not his strongest point. You could see that at times. But his, the way he read the game and his positioning, was I thought it was outstanding. And I think Croatia, um, I don't know, I thought they were just, yeah, just quite toothless up front and really didn't offer much. Even when they were able to get their footing in the game, they just really didn't create anything. So I don't know whether it's a testament to how strong England's defence is or how toothless Croatia were in the attacking third. Yeah, I can't actually remember Croatia having a, a decent chance. Can you? I mean, it seems like they've, uh, yeah, they've missed it there. But they, I mean, England just couldn't put them away in that opening sort of period of the game. And that's, I guess, what made... Um, England fans around the world sort of nervous. Alex, what did you make of the team selection in the end? I think it surprised us, didn't it, a little bit. And um, playing Kieran Trippier at left back was probably the the major curveball and even including Sterling in there to some extent. But there was probably half a million England managers on Twitter last night before the game and all saying, you know, their own... Uh, formations and teams and well, at the end of the day Gareth Southgate's the one who makes the decisions and on this occasion it's paid off so you've just got to back, back Southgate's decisions like I said and hopefully it goes uh, goes well and I, I think Trippier although he's not used to playing on the left I think he fitted in quite well Carl Walker was the one the surprising one oh my god performance wise I think Defensively, he was sound, which he always generally is, and his pace makes up for a lot of that. 
Um, but on the ball, was really poor, um, which was surprising from him. Um, yeah, but besides that, Phillips and Rice were solid. Um, like Bryce said, I, I don't think Harry Kane was lethargic. I, I just think, like, if you've watched Tottenham play throughout the course of the season, he just he just drifts in and out of games. He's one of those strikers that you don't really see much of him for the majority of the game, and he can just pop up with that chat one chance. I know we had one um, in the second half where the ball got crossed over to the back stick and the defender just put him off and he smashed into the post. But he could have took that, you know, he he could have took that one away and you turn around and say, oh, well, Harry Kane's had a good game because generally that's his style of play. He's one of those strikers that seems to always be in the the right place at the right time. And even if you don't see, I think if you don't see much of him throughout the course of the game, then you you, kind of had that opinion on him that... Mm. Ah, maybe he's not. He's he's had his best game, but he works a lot off the ball as well, to uh, to dictate where the opposition play the play the ball out from the back. I think as well. So, yeah, it was uh, Folden as well. He was another player who he had a good first twenty minutes, and then kind of went into his shell a little and was not disappointing. But I think all of the England players, like I said, and going back to my point, Bryce, I think that, like I said. I don't think it was an amazing performance from Croatia. I just felt that they were just awkward. They, they kind of put themselves about a bit. And, OK, both teams at the end of the day created eight eight attempts on goal. So, you know, they were even on that, that account. Um, yeah. But the chances that Croatia had, like you said, weren't very convincing. But I think, you know, Modric had a few um, nice spells in the middle, especially in that first half. And... What's the other boy, the lad who's at Real Madrid and Chelsea? Kovacic. 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 He's a, yeah, he, you could tell he was, as well, he was he player, was good in, yeah. in spells. Yeah, yeah, very good. So, yeah, all in all, like I said, England can take more confidence out of their performance. But, you know, Croatia can... I, I think Croatia will get through the group. Yes. Now, we did put a call out uh, on Instagram today. Um, and for those that maybe don't follow us on Instagram, please do. Uh, we're at Shooting Zars. And you can follow us on Twitter as well, at Zars Shootings. We do at Zars Shooting. We do try and keep you updated via socials. But we put out uh, a question or asked for people to send in questions today on Twitter. And we actually got four back, guys. Can you believe it? So Oof. I'll... I'll Thank, thank you to my brother, David, and uh, Alex's brother, Angus, for contributing 50% of those questions. But they're questions nonetheless. I like, I like it in-house. It's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In a sanctum. Yeah, in a sanctum. This yeah. is a family affair. Yeah. Um, but let's, let, let's roll through these questions and see what uh, people had to say. First off, we'll start with John Turner, who sent in a couple questions, actually, since we started doing the Euros podcast, Alex. For today, John Turner, he sent in... If Granty could wear any England kit from the past or present for the rest of his life, what is he choosing? Great question. You know which one I saw today, actually, on the TV? I think it was on last night before the game. Was that, you know what? I don't know which, I don't know what tournament it's from. I believe, I think it's the 2002 World Cup one with the red, um, it's like the line that goes through the England badge and runs along yeah, the yeah. chest. Yeah, yeah, reminds me a bit yeah, of yeah. that one. Yeah, 2002, yeah. Yeah, that, that, yeah. I think because Beckham's that's a long probably, sleeve, wide. Yeah. The, yeah, I think I've just got memories of Beckham scoring that free kick at Old Trafford to, yeah. to against, against Greece. Was it against yeah. Greece, yeah, to qualify yeah. for the World Cup. I, I think for me, that is probably the, the one I'd wear or the one, yeah, I could see myself. I think just because at that time as well, when I was younger and football was, you know, I still live and breathe it now, but it was just, oh, everything then. And and that was probably the kit. Probably, I was probably, what, like eight or nine or something like that and just idolised all these players. Still do. All right, question one. So, yeah, one. That's, that's the one. There we go. Thanks for sending that in, John. All right, back on the England game. David Marshall sends in, how does it look subbing your captain in the first game? We did see that towards the end of the game. Us three were chatting on our chat um, at the time, and I actually said that as well. Harry Kane going off it was, uh, you know, a little bit surprising. England were only one 0 up at the time. I think he went off in the 80th minute or there or thereabouts. Um, and who came on for him? Was it Jude Bellingham? Was was the substitute yeah. that Rush- came on for him? Was it yeah, not Rashford? I, I thought it was a good decision. 
Nah, it was it was Bellingham that came on was for it? the game. Yeah, for the final nine minutes, I think it was. I just I just thought it showed uh, how much faith that they've got in Bellingham at such a young age to come on and you know shore up the midfield uh, in a, in an opening game of a major European tournament. So and he did well as well. I thought he did really well, put himself about and shored things up. So look, Kane's. Yes, he's captain, but him being up front and having not had the best game that he could have possibly had, I, I, I don't think it was too strange when I saw it. I think when you look at it and go, Captain Harry Kane replaced by the youngest ever player, it seems odd, but I thought it looked like it made sense to me when it when it happened. Yep, Granty, what do you reckon about that? Um, oh, look, I don't, I don't think it's too big a deal. Um. Like I said before, I think Harry Kane works a lot off the ball that, you know, generally most people don't see. So he, he definitely put a shift in. Okay, he didn't get his goal last night, but he's definitely put um, put up a good display off the ball, like I said, and it's probably given him rest going into the um, Scotland game, um, which is coming up. So, and... Then again, it's also flip it on its head. It's a good experience for for Bellingham, and like Bryce has said, he's he's definitely got the ability and seems comfortable on that stage. Even though it was only like a little cameo at the end, but even coming into on for the last ten minutes, it's still you know in a major tournament, it's a massive responsibility he's got, and he's got to see out the job, and he did that well. Yeah, I guess you can't really uh, complain about. The manager's decision in any game if they get the win right isn't that fair Brass? yeah i definitely i think it, it all depends on the result that comes after they would have been seen a fool if they conceded but because he got the job done it was a sound decision everything's okay i just would love to note how funny it was uh when harry kane was trying to give his captain's armband off i croatia showed the urgency they hadn't shown 90 minutes and trying to get that bloody armband off kane and giving it to someone else so they could <laughs> crack on with the game i just thought that was so funny you just yep. see Kane was a bit just I like can just someone grab it. And that was yeah. that was I think Sterling had, it done. Sterling had trouble getting rid of it as well when he was brought off as well, <laughs> didn't he? So yeah. nice and slow. Good shit. Nobody wanted it. It. It's fu- it, is, yeah. it is it is funny that because we had it in the A League last year. Um I can't remember who we were playing, but it was when we were in the hub at the end of the season. And we made a joke after the game about certain people wearing the armband and Someone else was going to wear it every the next the following week. I think um, oh, James Meredith ended up with it at one point. And if if you met if you met Meredith, great great guy, absolute legend of a guy. But you you don't see him as one of those players who's like the lead, always talking on the pitch, that kind of thing. You know the one the one you look up to. But yeah, no disrespect. Boots are too fancy for that. No disrespect. Yeah, he ended up with it at the end of the game and we were all laughing at the, at the end of it as to him having it. It was brilliant. All right, next question. Angus Grant says, if you were Gareth Southgate, would you keep a winning team or would you make change, uh, make changes? We need to get the likes of Mason Mount, Phil Foden and Harry Kane more involved. Three points is what matters, but it wasn't a great performance. Granty, I'll give you the first rebuttal uh, at that question to your brother. It's probably about six pints deep when he's tweet. When did he tweet this today? This is today. All <laughs> oh, right. Oh, he's probably a bit on goal for them. Surprised he even watched the game. <laughs> um, but I know I think I think he'll change it. I do. I really do. Um, I think he's not um, been a stranger to changing the lineups in the past, and even yesterday, like I touched on, it was such a an odd one throwing Trippier at left back over Shaw, who's been yeah. probably one of the best left backs in the Premier League all season. Yeah. But and he's obviously just going with his, his gut feeling on the day. And I think he'll probably do the same against Scotland. And he'll obviously analyse the opposition, look at what their, where their strengths and weaknesses are. He may feel they need to go more defensive or maybe, you know, let the floodgates open a little and chuck uh, Grealish on instead of maybe Rice or Phillips this week and drop Mount back in uh, with either of them. So we'll have to wait and see. But I, I think my gut feeling is that it, it will make a couple of changes. What do you reckon, uh, Bryce? That Luke Shaw, Kieran Trippier decision is an interesting one. I think it raised a few eyebrows. I mean, what a confidence knocker that may be for Luke Shaw 
Uh, or how how yeah. big of a how big of a confidence shaker is that for Luke Shaw? I don't think you should take it too personally. I think it should be more about how good Kieran Trippier is and has been for England. Uh, I think he excelled at the World Cup with him, and he's a player that Gareth Southgate trusts, and he's a player that yeah. Diego Simeone trusts, a player that Pochettino trusted a lot, and yeah. he's, he's a class player, and he's shown that on the world stage in the biggest tournaments. So, I I think Kieran Trippier is a better player than Luke Shaw. Um, and when you're at that level and he can still produce on the other side of defense, I think it's a testament to how good he is rather than not about Shaw's quality. I think it should be more praising Kieran Trippier. Um, but I do think they, he will change the squad up because uh, Gareth Southgate putting a team out to kind of combat and nullify the threats of Kovacic and Modric in central midfield with Rice and Phillips there. So that's two more defensive-minded players. You're going to stop their flow. But against Scotland, they're not going to be coming up as strong in midfield. So I think he'll stick with either one of Rice and Phillips and he'll have one of either Grealish or, or Mount out there to be a bit more of an attacking threat because they will have more uh, space and opportunity to attack from midfield um, against Scotland and they will against Croatia, especially in that midfield, second, third. Quick word on Calvin Phillips, Alex. The the what was it the Yorkshire Perlo? <laughs> yeah, let's not get carried away. <laughs> oh. Great nickname, um, mate. What a what a performance! I think he just he just looks so comfortable, um, in every essence on the pitch. He just breaks up play so well. I think the little things like giving away smart fouls just to break yeah. up play that people maybe don't recognise maybe they do but little things like that that when you're actually playing you, you look at someone like that and go and you just filled with so much um, you know encouragement to, to do well further in the game it's kind of little things like that that can kind of spur teammates on and I think he does that really well he reads the game really well and the ball for the for the goal was class you know we just skipped away from the defender and then slipped Sterling and it was uh, yeah all around the top performance from him. Yeah, he's proving to uh, or yeah off, off one game at least he's uh, cemented his spot. I would suspect. I guess we'll be seeing a lot more of Calvin Phillips in the in the coming games. Um, yeah, great stuff, England. It'll be interesting to see what Gareth Southgate does with the team and you know whether Jaden Sancho. I don't know whether he was carrying a knock, but him and Chilwell didn't even make the twenty three match day squad. So. Um, plenty of options there at England. That was obviously a big surprise as well. Um, but yeah, we'll just have to have to wait and see how that all progresses. Hopefully Harry Kane can fire and find a bit of form and um, yeah, we can score a few more goals as well. Um, but yeah, that's England. Plenty more to come um, today. Obviously, we're going to talk a lot about the Euros and sort of what's happened over the past couple of days, but we're going to touch on a little bit more on Australian football. The A-League, obviously, finals is getting to the business end of the season now. There's sort of rumours swirling around who Ange Postacoglu is going to bring with him to Celtic. We'll discuss a couple of those. Um, and then a couple of the stories that we touched on in the last podcast uh, in the Premier League, at least. They're sort of bubbling away nicely and there's some sort of updates there. So that's all to come, as well as a special chat with Daniel Garb, who's now with the the ABC Grandstand Football Podcast. He was good enough to join us for a quick chat to discuss all things in the world of football. So stay tuned for that. But um, yeah, let's uh, have a look at some other results from yesterday. You got Netherlands 3, Ukraine 2. Bryce, this seems to be the general consensus from everyone, at least on Twitter, uh, is that this is the game of the tournament thus far. What do you think? Yes, that's verbatim my note at the top for this game this game of the tournament so far it was great I just think I, I miss Jeannie Wijnaldum already um, he's obviously secured the bag at PSG with a fat paycheck there so all the best to him but I think he showed why he was in such high demand and Barcelona lost out to a bidding war with a lot of PSG wages wise I thought he was class throughout the game I think Netherlands had quite a few chances to bury him properly in that first half. Didn't take them, obviously, until over the scoring there. Um, but just Ukraine coming back, they look dead and buried. Ukraine, then Jan Belenko of West Ham, of course. What a goal. Absolute bell turn. 
it was just very much a one of those IM Robin moments where you just like don't let him come on his left, don't let him come on his left. Yeah, oh, shit, he's you could see it happening on his left, and he's curled it. Yeah, it was perfect. What a strike! Um, yeah, I looked up Yarmolenko. I feel like he's been at that thirty odd for the past ten years, um, and I found out he was born in Russia in Saint Petersburg, the Ukraine. So that was an interesting one for him. But just like he's got that in him, but I feel he doesn't do it consistently enough. So. It'll be interesting to see if he can crack on and do that a bit more in the Premier League next season. But yeah, cracking game. Netherlands look good, but then they look terrible for a period, especially defensively. But no, a lot of exciting players for the Netherlands and yeah, it's a belter of a game. What you would hope for in a Euros. Alex, did you see that one or did you see the goals at least? What did you make of that result just quickly? Yeah, I saw the goals. Um, a bit early for me to be getting up and watching that one. But yeah. um, With a little baby yeah. as well, mate. We forgive you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cheers. Um, yeah, I mean, family pod this one. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, very yeah, okay. All it's right. a family it, affair. Um, <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, yeah, for, for them to let slip a two-goal lead is probably a little nervy for Netherlands going into the next game, and mm-hmm. the fans are probably aren't entirely convinced now after that. But it shows they've got character. Uh, to get the winner anyway and, and like Bryce said Wijnaldum I think he's he was probably one of the best players in the Prem and it is a shame for Liverpool to lose him and I think he's going to be pivotal in this tournament for um for the for the Netherlands It's getting better with age Wijnaldum he's only 30 I suppose he's got plenty more years uh, years to come um, let's take a quick look at Austria 3 North Macedonia 1 Alex your man from your Stoke City days Marco Anatovic who we've We've spoke about on this podcast a few seasons ago, for those that may be interested. I think it was in the World Cup series. So we're going back a while, but uh, the man that notoriously rocked up to training every day at Stoke in a different car, uh, he was a man about town, plenty of talent, and he proved it last night with a, a neat goal. Uh, Austria 3, North Macedonia 1. So it's a good start for them as well. Yeah, cracking. Uh, yeah, some player. Um I also had uh, Dan Batman, the goalkeeper, who's now at Watford. He was in my um, reserve team at, at Stoke as well. But yeah, I think he messed up for the first goal for the uh, Macedonia's goal. But he's a he's a good good keeper. Um, yeah, yeah, there's and, a bit of a defensive mix up there. So yeah, yeah, and I, I think Austria they'll probably look, be looking at progressing through the group. I think they showed from what I saw from the England game. Prior to the start of the tournament, they looked pretty decent. So, yeah, going on from here, I think they'll, um, they should should get through easy. All right, let's take a look at Saturday games now. Obviously, the big story was uh, the Christian Eriksen incident. Uh, thankfully, he's okay. I'm sure everyone sort of knows what's happened there. Uh, awful to awful to look at. Awful to think about. Thank God he's okay, as I mentioned. Um, Denmark somehow continued. And finished off their game. Their coaches come out today and said that they sort of regret doing that because, um, yeah, I suppose that they didn't end up getting the result they wanted, Bryce. It was a 1-0 loss to Finland, obviously in trying circumstances. Um, I think, no, yeah, no one can really sort of, um, yeah, say anything other than best wishes to Christian Eriksen from that one. What did you make of it all? Yeah, I was actually watching it. Um... I was in bed watching the game on my laptop and you could just see as soon as he went to run for that throw-in, he just his balance was lost and it was very evident how serious it was um, very quickly. And the referee did a fantastic job to... Was it Anthony Taylor, I think? Anthony who, Taylor, was, yeah. yeah. Premier yeah. League ref. He acted so quickly to the, um, to the danger and alerted the medics and everyone came on. And I think it was one of those moments that kind of showed... Uh, the fraternity that you have within football and how the team came together to form that kind of guard around him and, you know, show their togetherness. And I mean, being in front of his friends and family, his hometown in Copenhagen as well, it was, it it made you feel sick watching it. Um, You kind of forgot about the football side of things for a while, which is very powerful, obviously. And it's it's so good to hear that he's stable in hospital um, now, but you hear some, you hear some horror stories from the moments and he, he had a cardiac arrest. Um, and he lost his pulse there. So it's just, um, you know, obviously an amazing footballer 
Um, but it's bigger than that and just, yeah, just really glad he's okay. But just, yeah, an awful, awful moment. And I did find it quite strange to continue the game. I thought that was that was quite strange. I didn't, I don't know who, I mean, they obviously make that decision there. But yeah, them saying in hindsight, they probably shouldn't have done it. But yeah, it, it, it just, the whole thing is, yeah, bizarre. It's weird to kind of cast judgment or comment on because it's a situation that's just, you never would have thought you'd find yourself in. Yeah, you you almost kind of feel like you shouldn't talk about it. I don't know if yeah. you guys feel that, but um, yeah, I mean, Alex, I'll throw it to you. I guess you being a player and having you know toured around, have you sort of seen anything like that before? Obviously, we've seen it before. A very similar incident with Fabrice Mwamba, who uh, suffered something you know very similar in a Premier League match against Spurs, I think Bolton v Spurs, roughly ten years ago now, but. Um, yeah, what did you make of it? Is that, have you kind of ever seen that on your travels as a professional footballer? I, I haven't, Stu, no. And uh, look, thank God I haven't because even watching it on TV was, um, you know, harrowing enough. It was, um, you know, it wasn't good to watch, wasn't good to see. I think, um, you know, a lot of the TV outlets copped a lot of stick for leaving leaving the broadcast on, you know, and it's a real, it's a real tough one for them because at the end of the day, like everyone's expecting him to get up and clap the fans and, and, and walk off. So for them to cut the broadcast, it would really, it was shocking to see him performing CPR out on the pitch and nobody wants to see that. But, you know, at the end of the day, these things can happen and do happen. Uh, like you've just touched on. So I think it, it certainly raises awareness as well as to, you know, how important it is for us to learn certain things like CPR and uh, things like this in, in, in case this ever does happen um, to anyone, uh, you know, whether it being yourself or um, friends or family or whoever. You know what to do in the in the circumstances, and a credit to the the doctors and the medical staff who were first on hand, even the players to some extent, because they uh, read the situation straight off the bat, didn't they? And um, you know, started I think uh, moving Ericsson into the right position and began CPR, and yeah, credit to them really. Uh, like I said, so. It's something we don't want to see, but unfortunately it can and probably will happen again. So, yeah. yeah the captain, Simon Kiar, um, was one of the first to kind of put him on his side and make sure his airways were cleared. So it's just like just showing that kind of poise in those moments is just, you know, it could have saved his life. It's just amazing the response from everyone involved. Yeah. And the plaudits are flowing in for these players. I think um, keeper Kasper Schmeichel was another one, which, you know, supposedly or, or did not supposedly did a lot of good things at the time and really rallied everyone but um yeah i mean it can happen it seems like it can happen at a very young age so um everyone out there us included learning cpr definitely is a big takeaway uh, out of this because you just never really know when you may need it but thankfully christian erickson is okay um and he got through it and he's up and sending facetimes and joking around now with his friends and family in hospital and communicating with his club and his national team so um that's the positive out of what uh, has been a very sad situation this weekend um and hopefully he makes a speedy recovery and we see him again that's that's the big one as well hopefully we do see him again in a in, in a denmark shirt but we'll have to uh sort of wait and see what happens there and i guess his club mate romelu lukaku who's banging the goals in club and country these days um did a fitting tribute to Christian Eriksen in the hours after the incident on Saturday in Belgium's 3-0 win over Russia. Romelu Lukaku scored two goals. Uh, his first goal was uh, dedicated to Eriksen. He ran over to the camera and um, you know, said a couple of nice, kind words. But that aside, Bryce, what did you make of the Belgian results um, and how they sort of played against Russia? Uh, look, I think I picked them at the start for me to be the the favourites for me, Belgium, I think they've done no harm to their chances there. I thought they were fantastic. Lukaku's at the peak of his powers now. He's at a club that 
I feel like he feels Love appreciated him. and things are flowing for him and he's got that confidence. It's just great to see. He's, yeah, he's a powerhouse. He's finally found that club that plays Champions League every I kind of feel like he's been wanting that for quite a while, yeah. right? And like sort of a went to United club, wanting like exactly a, like a this. Big club. Like, knew yeah. he was good enough for the big stage and for a big club and Inter's finally that player that uh that club that has uh, yeah. provided him that. Yeah, preach it. I think I you saw the words right out of my mouth there. Fantastically put. What did you make of it, Granty? Lukaku, does he does he impress you every time you watch him? Is he a defender's nightmare? <laughs> he definitely is. <laughs> oh, he's a weapon, and he? he's such a beast, so so much strength and power, and a guy who, for his size, can finish a finish a ball. You know, he can put it in the back of the net. Yeah. Um, from every angle, um, and it's just so frustrating for me as a Man United fan to to see him scoring. Yeah. I think because at United he just wasn't. I don't know whether it was whether it was because of Mourinho or what, but just n- never really looked like he was going to set the world alight. And it just seems that I think he's had that over his career. And like you've said, now he's finally got the confidence at Inter, um, and he's banging the goals in for fun. So he's obviously carried that on into the tournament. And um, I saw. Uh, something on Twitter the other day and people were tipping him for the golden boot and I'd actually forgotten about him to be honest with you. Um, it didn't come didn't come to mind straight off the bat um, but now looking at that and obviously seeing his first performance I think he's going to be right up there without a doubt. Yeah, and I'm sure there's been plenty of money placed on him and I think there'll be a lot more placed on him now but yeah, I, I agree with you. I probably didn't really... Um... Yeah, maybe he does fly under the radar nowadays, I guess, now that he's in Italy. Because he's left the Prem, yeah. Yeah, and I suppose we're just one-eyed Premier League followers, but there's plenty (laughs) of other football out there, especially in Europe. Um, Yeah, Belgium 3, Russia 0. Statement there from Belgium. Uh, Quickly, Wales 1, Switzerland 1. Bit of a, you know, cagey back and forth there. Kiefer Moore, I believe, was the Welsh goal scorer. The Swiss goal scorer escapes my memory from this point, but... um, I guess they got a point, Wales Bryce, didn't they? Yeah, um, death taxes in an alpine country such as Switzerland being in a bloody draw. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was, Wales were definitely under the pump there, especially in that last 15 to 20 minutes. Um, I think they defended really well. There was obviously a disallowed goal for, uh, for Switzerland near the end there. Um, but yeah, it was, I just, I think Wales definitely deserved the point but Austria probably the better side at the end of the day there Switzerland um, oh, did I say Austria you yeah said. Alpine countries again <laughs> oh, they blend into one they blend into one um, but I just think my favourite moment was when the goal got disallowed just the Wales fans and their classic bucket hats giving it loads to the Swiss fans was brilliant so that was the highlight I got from that game a bit of an uninspiring match all in all I say probably the highlight was the fans and then I think Joe Allen was marking Mbolo. Mbolo scored the goal for Switzerland, but he was marking him at corners. Joe Allen's like the smallest man on the pitch, marking Mbolo, who's just an athletic specimen, really tall, absolutely like so strong. And everything. It was just, it was so funny to see it on the pitch, and it consistently happened. It wasn't an accident. I just, Joe Allen must be the best set piece marker in history with that height difference. So yeah, not a game to remember, that's for sure. But again, Switzerland and Austria, yeah. They're off the mark, I suppose. They've both got points. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the, the final game to look at was the opening game of the tournament. That was on Friday uh, night, European time, Saturday morning, Australian time. Uh, Italy 3, Turkey 0. Uh, Chiro Immobile and Insigne uh, really turned it on there, Alex, didn't they? I mean, a bit of a statement from Italy. For those that are maybe watching on YouTube, you may see that I've got uh, the stylish as ever Roberto Mancini, and which, what I can only assume is his assistant manager next to him. Uh, how, how's the, how's the kit, though? How's the kit? Look what they wear, you know? It's so good. <laughs> An Italian it's so chic. Good. Uh, but Italy 3, Turkey nil. Surprising result, given some people have sort of tipped Italy as a smoky, or I mean, Turkey as a smoky, or Italy uh, that cut above Alex. Yeah, should have gone back to the Wales game because I watched that one. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Uh, never mind but uh, yeah I've seen the goals I haven't seen the game Um, but what can I say they were dominant mate I'll tell you that much Italy won 
So there you go. That's that's all I can take from it. Right, Bryce, <laughs> let's leave him out. Of, let's just start. You and me will start a podcast, Bryce. Yeah, right. go on. Yeah, go um, on. take over there, mate. Or let's 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 wrap this game up. Italy just dominant, yeah. sort of from the get go. They had, you know had so much of the ball in the first half. Looked like yeah. they were going to score. I mean, Insignia had a glorious chance in the first half. He sort of had three of the same chance and scored the third one. Um, yeah, yeah they, they just looked dynamite and definitely deserved their 3-0 victory. Probably could have had another yeah. couple, but um, yeah, what do you think? I think it was just classic showman style, oozing confidence and a bit of hubris about him. Italy, it was good to see they had a bit of swagger about him again after a pretty lackluster couple last tournaments for them. And I think... Um, Italy singing the national anthem is one of the best things in world football for me. It's so great. That's just the wonderful. Passion. Oh, it's just the best, isn't it? Um, and they, they, if you don't support Italy, they get a, they cop a bit of criticism from a lot of people for their theatrics on the pitch, but they add so much color to every tournament. So it's great to see them back on the big stage there. Um, and yeah, just seeing Chiellini sing the national anthem alone is fantastic, but thoroughly deserved win. Turkey looked dodgy and surprisingly dodgy at the back. Pardon me, considering who they've got there. Um, but yeah, I just think I think Italy are going to prove a few people wrong and make up for a bit of lost time because they didn't they didn't play in the World Cup, did they? No, they they've yeah they, they, they were they the big the World name, Cup. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I think yeah, it's good. To, it's I think a tournament is better having Italy in it for the color and passion that they add for it, and they're you know setting their marker now that they're not there just to make up the numbers. Yeah, in, f- in fashion and on the pitch because those suits are just brilliant. <laughs> yes, and if you're not watching the YouTube version, uh, yeah, skip over to YouTube and watch the video here because Roberto Mancini looking great, and I'm sure it's going to continue. Um, yeah, Raheem Sterling's getting off behind me. <laughs> <laughs> he is, and then uh, Jenny Wijnaldum is now the background for Bryce, but he started off with something else. I can't yeah. actually remember. It was, just, uh, it was Iceland doing the Viking clap. And this time I've got one out and does the, it does the Van Dyke celebration. That's right. Van Dyke would be wearing that skipper's armband if he wasn't injured. So it's a bit of paying ode to him. Go on, Al. Yeah, what were you going to say? Sorry, ju- just going back to the national anthems, Bryce. I actually put mm. a tweet out last night. Or was it the night before? I can't remember. But for me, I don't, my, my favourite is the Welsh national anthem. Yeah, you're right. Then. It is fantastic. Yeah. I think... For me, it's followed by the Flower of Scotland, but they're my two favourites. The Wales tops it, the Welsh one. I don't know what you guys think is is your favourite. Stu, have you got a favourite one? Uh, I know, actually, you haven't really thought about it, if I'm being completely honest. it's um... Argentina's is another belter, actually. Hmm. Yeah. I like, yeah, the French, I like the French they national anthem. They don't need prize. Come on, we're the Euros. Yeah, we said international America. football. Oh, expand oh. your mind, mate. Come on. Not just Europe, not the only continent. Come on. Plenty of other football in the world. The Copa, Copa America, of course, is uh, happening happening concurrently in Brazil um, right now. So Imagine you have extra time in that tournament for all the bloody jumping about there. There's no fans there, though. At least that's something to savor from the Euros. There's not a single fan in the stadium given the COVID situation in Brazil. So definitely mm. a positive of uh, how the COVID situation is looking in Europe these days. Um, but, yes, yeah, so let's have a quick quick look at the games to come. Obviously, we're recording this, you know, 10.30 at night, Sydney time at least. So <laughs> at the time of recording, it's Monday night here, Australian time. You've got Scotland v. Czech Republic, Spain v. Sweden, probably the match of the group stage thus far. Uh, or the tournament thus far is France v Germany. That's a bit of a blockbuster. And then you've got Portugal, Hungary. Um, you know, news at Jao Cancelo of Portugal is now contracted COVID. So this is what I was saying uh, last pod is there's got potentially going to be players just dropping out of, out of squads and whatnot for each game um, because of the ongoing coronavirus situation uh, globally. But let's take a little look at Scotland now. Um, we haven't spoke much about Scotland yet, Alex. The, well, I brought them up last week. Oh, you did, I suppose. Well, you just look... having a stew. Come on. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Let, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk more in depth about them. Uh, I'm just looking. I'm just looking at the lineup now. So they kick off in half an hour. Half an hour. So by the time that this yeah. comes out and people Especially listen, now. they would have already got the result. But what do you reckon? Sorry. Maybe make a bold prediction now for this game, so then people that maybe listen to this, uh, you know, I'm going to say two, you know two on Scotland. About. What do you think about the lineup? Talk us through the team. Yeah, well, according to live score, they're playing five at the back. 
Um, Robertson, Grant Hanley, Norwich defender. Marshall in goal. Um, McSauce in the middle. Centre midfield, boss in it. Uh, Scott McTomney. I, I think, you know, on paper, they've, they've got a pretty decent squad. Um, Robertson, probably one of the best left-backs in the world, would you say, Bryce? I couldn't agree more, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought so. Leader, legend, yeah. <laughs> so, there you go. And Lyndon Dykes up top. I mean, he's a, he had the opportunity to play for Australia. Was that right? Did he play a couple of friendlies for the Socceroos? Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, so obviously he's... Um, He's, he's gone with Scotland, so yeah, I think they'll get over the line. I, I actually like Scotland. I, I kind of I want them to do well. I don't want them to beat England on Saturday, but um, yeah. Is this the first time, I think, during our lifetime that we've seen Scotland at a major tournament? I think for our since we've been around, Scotland have been quite poor on the international front football, so I think it's just great them in, being there. They were at 96, weren't they? think so yeah two years old i guess we didn't really get to soak that one up hey we were alive though i did <laughs> you did yeah right okay soaked it right up but it's just it's just great it's just great seeing them in there i think i can't wait to hear the national anthem at night in about half an hour i mean they've got kieran tierney and robertson probably two of the premier left backs in the world it's just a bit of a shame they both can't play on that left hand flank is tierney in the, on the bench um I don't think he is actually. No, he might must be injured. There we go. He didn't oh, make yeah. a match day squad. All right. He what about what? Then he's too good. Who, who's the biggest threat in the Czech Republic lineup as that you can see right now, Alex? Looking at your live score app. Ah, he's throwing me under the bus here again. Hey, we want preparation uh, on this podcast. Suchek. There, <laughs> there we go. Thomas Suchek. One player. West Ham. Yeah. yeah, he's done very well at West Ham, so he's probably the only one I know. <laughs> and that's paper, fine, so there you go. It is. Look, there you go. Thomas Suchek, he's going to score four. No, but that, that, that's that's good for the listeners, at least. You know, <laughs> they, they have <laughs> they have uh, hard-hitting punditry here. Gary Neville-esque, that was, Alex. I'll tell you that much. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> um, all right, Bryce, let's have a... Spain v Sweden. Fran- okay, let's talk about France v Germany. Obviously, Spain v Sweden, uh, also an important game, but for the, you know, being conscious of time as well. France v Germany, blockbuster game, biggest game of the tournament, I think, so far. What do you reckon? Who's coming out on top? Uh, I think undoubtedly, it's like, it's probably going to be the biggest matchup of the, the whole tournament, I guess, in terms of European powerhouses there. But Germany have got a lot to prove after their failure at the World Cup to, you know, get past the group stages. So they've got a lot to prove, but it's going to be exciting seeing the likes of uh, Havertz and Timo Werner link up on the, on the main stage there. I just think France are going to beat them, though. I think it'll be, I'll say 3-1 to France. Um, I think France will be far too strong for them, but actually not 2-1, 2-1. I think Germany have definitely improved, so I'll go 2-1, and there's a few German players in form. So 2-1 to France is my tip. The French team is just so deep. You just, it's, it's kind of, oh. you kind of just so hard to look past them. And Gar- Garby said yeah. a lot of this in our chat, but like, God, they are just, they have <laughs> players for days, don't they, Bryce? Exactly. I mean, we just went through, well, Grant, you just went through the Czech Republic squad and we just had Suchek to kind of uh, like, that we recognize as a, as a player that we all know. You go through that France squad and you don't even have to follow football to know a majority of those names. The likes of Kante and Pogba, Griezmann. It's just, it's an unreal squad. It's world-class. I'm just sure that winning the World Cup, but it'd be interesting to see how they how they back it up if they can repeat Spain's epic double there. Interesting story that sort of came out in the past couple of days was um, Olivier Giroud going public with some criticism of his player, of his teammates. I don't know if you guys saw that, but then Kylian Mbappe sort of clapped back uh, in the past couple of days, sort of saying that Giroud was wrong to say that about some teammates. So... Um, yeah, that's why, a, like, why would you say that? Yeah, I, why I don't would know. you do that now? It's so I, weird. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but maybe Alex, yeah. we'll get a bit of comment from you while I pull up some quotes here. I mean, um, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, like you has that ever happened to you, or have you ever been in a situation like that where maybe someone in your team has maybe said something which has unsettled the squad, and you know, how would that be received by the other players? Do you think? Obviously, not know. well. 
I, I think you're waffling a lot of bollocks here, mate, to be honest with you. It's, I'm not having this story. No way has he come out and said anything negative. Do you reckon someone's minutes. taken him off record or something like that? Possibly. No. I don't know. We'll have to see. We've got, come on, Stuart, get him up. Yeah. Um, no, but just talk, talk about a situation like that in general when maybe a coach says something publicly or a player says something publicly that doesn't go down well with the team. Uh, I think majority of the time or the majority of the squads that I've been involved, the, the managers have controlled the dressing room and what is said within that dressing room quite well. Um, and the majority of managers I've had have never criticised those or criticised, you know, the team I've played in publicly. I think that's one one key to keeping morale within a squad is not openly blasting or smashing players. Okay, some players don't perform and you may comment that they've not been up to the standard this week or whatever, but to criticise someone constantly or give them abuse is probably not the right way of going about things. Don't get me wrong, (laughs) when the doors are closed and everyone's in that dressing room, I have witnessed and seen some harsh words being thrown around um, and some reality checks as well. And even one-on-one meetings with managers, sometimes you can think you're doing well and the, the sales taken from underneath you. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one, especially with them coming into the first game. Um, have you got them up? Have yeah. I rambled on enough there for you to go on and throw them out? <laughs> um, yeah, look, I think what you said, um, is true. There's basically Giroud said he's making plenty of runs and he's not getting the service and it's frustrating. And then Kylian Mbappe sort of said, he's allowed to say what he wants. It doesn't bother me. But if I had an option, I would have preferred he say it in the changing rooms and not publicly. So not the biggest beef ever, definitely a bit of a media drum up, but um, nonetheless, another storyline, you know, maybe this is what the media are doing, trying to derail France's campaign. And these are, the kind of things that they sort of look for. and um, Yeah, maybe his words have been twisted slightly or, um, you know, it would seem. But who knows? Who knows? Anyway, moving on. Potential beef there in France, but nonetheless, they're going to... Big game against Germany. We'll have to see how it it pans out. As I mentioned, Portugal v Hungary. Again, their team's a joke. Um, We'll have to see how... I think that's match day... No, that's match day one for them. They haven't played yet. Um, but we will discuss all that in the next pod. Just quickly, we mentioned last week, Alex, you brought up this third place finish rule. Um, for those that maybe listened in and were wondering and maybe didn't find out what that, that is. Essentially, what's happening, because um, there's 24 teams in the Euros this year. Um, so that's six groups. Yeah, that's my, my math is correct. Um, so there's basically four spots left to progress. So out of the, the top four teams, uh, so the top four third place finishes also progress. So at the end of the group stage, the, whoever finished third out of the six groups, four of the top best four will progress. So that's to make up the round. So based of, on goal difference, is it? Yeah, goal difference, points yeah. total, that sort of thing. So that sort of becomes a mini yeah. league and then that makes up the round of 16. So, cool. um, so pretty much everyone's going through. Yeah, happy days. Bar what two two teams so um yeah interesting I can't is there any other tournaments that operate like that off the top of your head I don't think the World Cup operates like that does it Bryce no I think they did have the best place third team in in the World Cup they might have done that I might be completely wrong there but I think it's to make sure that there's less kind of dead rubbers which is good for viewers and stuff like that so yeah, crack on yeah anyway that's that that's the Euros um. Big couple games coming up this week. We'll try and have another we'll review those in the coming days. Um, let's take a quick look at Australian football now, boys. Obviously, we spoke heavily about Ange Postacoglu last week. That was the Postacoglu pod. Uh, Matt Ryan to Celtic. Rumours are happening. There's coaching rumours. Obviously, we've talked about Kevin Musket, but Ross Aloisi was floated today from Adelaide as being a potential assistant. Um you know, Matt Ryan to Celtic makes sense, I think, doesn't it, Bryce? Definitely. I think I think Burnt Leno's still got a year 
uh, remaining at Arsenal and he'll leave after that. So maybe that gives him a bit of a, a look in to stay at Arsenal if he wants to become number one. But then I think Arsenal signs, is it Ognona or Ognona, the Ajax keeper? But he's yep. just been banned for nine months for alleged substance abuse. I'm taking a illegal substance for performance enhancing stuff. But I just think it makes more sense. Matt Ryan excelling and starting every single week at Celtic. So it'll be, he'll have to give up his, you know, his boyhood club Arsenal to move there. But I think it's a match made in heaven, Postecoglou Glue and Matt Ryan in goals for Celtic to get him back up to the, the pinnacle of Scottish football. Yeah. Um, another one, Alex, different sort of topics. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter, but Simon Hill, uh, Australian commentator, the voice of football, as he's widely known nowadays. Uh, he called for a statue of Ange Postecoglou in Melbourne. Do you think that's, is he worthy of a statue, do you think? Uh, no, not, not quite yet. Calm down, Simon. Hey, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Come on. Back it up. I think, boys. Maybe Simon said that with a bit of tongue in cheek, I must say. Maybe, but but think, nonetheless, yeah. he started yeah, yeah. the conversation. Is the Ange Postacoglu statue, Look, is that fair? Potentially. For poten- it. Potentially somewhere along the line. You know, look, we spoke about it last week. He might go to Celtic and might be an absolute flop and back on the scrap heap within a month or two. But who knows? So I think if he does well and um, who knows how long he'll go for there um, and where his next club will be. So I think he's definitely made or had an imprint on Australian football, that's for sure. Um, if, if, so we'll have to wait and see. I mean, I mean out of anyone in Australian football, you know, currently active. If anyone was potentially going to be given a statue in the years to come, he seems like the most likely source. If the trajectory continues the way it's sort of been going, I think Bryce is that fair? Yeah, I'd I'd agree. I think he's had the, the biggest impact. I mean, you've got probably Sam Kerr is another one you'd throw up there as well in terms of what she's achieved in putting Australian football on the map. Maybe if she wins the Ballon d'Or, yeah, yeah, for sure. I still think she will. I think even if she doesn't win that, I think she's definitely in line to have one um, in WA for sure. Um, but yeah, if Ange can, you know, lift Celtic back up and win a Scottish Premier League and get him in the Champions League and things like that, then I think that re- it becomes a real conversation for sure. Definitely, I think the dialogue alone on it is pretty just exciting to have someone of Australian football being talked about, about being immortalised with a statue because I think we've kind of lacked that in the past decade or so. So it's, it's good to have it be, be talking about that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, let's hope it continues. Um, quick look at the A-League finals. We're into the semi-finals now. Adelaide got past Brisbane. Thanks to Tommy Urich double. They'll play Sydney FC. Um, and then MacArthur, team that joined the league this year, got past the Central Coast Mariners and put an end to their season. Um, so they're into the semis. MacArthur will play Melbourne City, who are without a host of stars, obviously. Granty, what do you reckon? How did you see those games or how do you see, maybe let's look forward. Who's, you know, Adelaide v Sydney and MacArthur v uh, Melbourne City. What do you reckon? Who's coming out of those ones? Yeah, I said, didn't ask a few weeks ago, um, or a couple of weeks ago, that Melbourne City would be the ones who win it. Um, and I still think they're on course to do that. Obviously, they've not played for a week or so and, they're coming up against MacArthur. I actually watched the MacArthur game and I did feel a bit sorry on Central Coast because they have struggled over the last four or five seasons. And this year they really, you know, they surprised a lot of people and have done really well. Um, so it was a bit unfortunate, especially in front of such a big crowd at home. You, you would have liked to have seen them gone through, but uh, MacArthur went down to 10 men. They lost James Meredith late in the second half and then managed to get a goal. Um go in front and uh, see it out and on the break and win 2-0 comfortably in the end. So, they, I don't know, MacArthur are one of those teams that maybe they could do the upset against City. It'd be crazy to to see them in the grand final with it being their own, their first season in the league. Uh, Western United came pretty close last year as well, but they, they didn't make it. So, that'd be an interesting one. Um yeah, and Adelaide, they've been pretty... That, at the start of the season, they weren't doing too great, but they've definitely found form midway through the season and then kind of continued that. Uh, a bit up and down, but they've done well as well. And Sydney SC are just... 
I don't know what it is, but whenever I came up against them, you just they're such a hard team to beat. They're so well organised. They've just got good players throughout the squad. Um, something inside of me thinks that I, I'll probably go back on what I said about City because I didn't really think about the players they've lost. But I, I've got a funny feeling Sydney will probably win it. Yeah, well, they've been the dominant force in recent times and obviously in yeah. A-League history. Um, so history's on their side, I guess. It'd be pretty sad, though, for Melbourne City if they didn't, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to see them go out in the semis, I guess, especially. Mate, with their Bye. resources, with their resources, whatever, who cares? They can't do it this year. Tough. I, I got no sympathy for Melbourne yeah, City at all mate, if they don't but, make it. But why is that? There's a salary cap in place. Obviously, their facilities are better, maybe, but like, they still have to abide by the salary cap, do they not, Bryce? Yeah, but they're able to get the. I don't know. They just. I just don't like oh, the mark. The marquees. Like, it's they a can city pay group. Money. They get the marquees. The way they worked around that loophole before about, you know, players would be signed by Melbourne, uh, by Mel- Manchester City rather than loaned to Melbourne City. I think it was Caceres that happened to and things like that. So it's, I don't know. I just don't like City. <laughs> There we go. All right, fair enough. Let's look at some. Um, uh, let's look at some sort of, I guess, transfer news. Couple of stories. I thought it was pretty funny. Or nothing signals a rebuild more than your club releasing nine players, and that's sort of what's happened at the Newcastle Jets. So, if you're a Jets fan, you got to hope that there's plenty of quality brought in. Um, and then a Perth Glory story. Nick D'Agostino is out the door. Granty, quick word on him. What's he like as a young player? What was he like yeah, to play with? Cracking lad, Nick. Yeah, real good guy, good player. I never really found um, a spot within the starting eleven whilst I was there. Always kind of one of those players who was in and out. And I know Popper. Uh, there you go. He, he smashed him a bit about his weight and being a bit unfit at one point. So there's one player that who <laughs> did cop a bit of stick in the media from the manager. Um, but I think Nick. Uh, he knows himself that he can be up and down in that sense and lack fitness, and he has to take care of himself to to keep on top of him, um, to keep on top of things. But when he's firing, what a player! I said to Angus the other week, actually, he's probably one of the best free size, um, one of the best strikers in the A League in the air, I believe personally. Yeah. Um, and he's got a great right foot on him. I think he, he probably just needs to learn how to control it a bit more and not be as rash sometimes. But I think what an opportunity now. I know Ange, not Ange, sorry, um, Graham Arnold's a massive fan of him. Um, so now going into the Olympics as a free agent, you know, his options are going to be through the roof after that if he has a good tournament. So it, I think that's all it comes down to, really. Nick's just putting himself in a position where going into a tournament where you're on the world stage and all the eyes are on you, you know, who knows what can what can come of it. So it's mm, a massive smart. opportunity for him. Yeah, it is in a way. Factor, I think doesn't he? Yeah, he does, and, that, and that's what he got. He's he got the Oli Ruse there um, in the qualifiers, putting great individual performance. Can't remember where, remember where they were playing. Um, but yeah, he's he is a, a top player. Radio. What have you just finally? What do you make of the Perth Glory season? You know, given the sort of turnover that sort of happened, how did you rate their season this year? Um, I think if they'd had a full squad um, from the start, and the players that they brought in had had more time in pre-season. Um, it could have panned out a little differently. I know the Japanese lad and the, the German centre-back, they were stuck in quarantine and it took them ages for him to get over with the visas and whatnot, so they had a lot of problems there. Um, I think all in all, it, it wasn't a, the best season. Um, but we you got to see a lot of young players come through the, who've come through the academy and feature. You know, Stanzi, Timmins, Bodnar. Um, lads who all kind of held their own um, at certain times throughout the season so these promising signs there so I think they can definitely improve next season 
I'd like to see him improve next season. So it'll be an interesting one to see who they keep, who they bring in. I don't know anything about who's re-signed or whatnot. So it'll be interesting. Absolutely. One to watch. You just never what, know. What was your what was your thoughts on it? Um, yeah, probably similar to what you had to say. It was good to see a lot of young players sort of come through. Um Maybe a bit disappointing at times. Obviously, you know, from a fan's point of view, sad to see Neil Kilkenny not really stay in the team and kind of like he's, you know, he's been a big player for the glory over the past couple of seasons. So obviously there's a changing of the guard there with Richard Garcia in at the manager's role. So um, he wants to stamp his authority on the squad and that makes sense. But I like Killer. He's a friend of the show. Um, Like him as a player. So... Sad about that, but I guess you got to look to the future now that you're not there, mate. You got to just hope mm. that these uh kids can come in and make an impact like you did. And um, yeah, just you just wonder though, you know, how, like it's got you, you still kind of wish the glory won that title a couple of seasons ago because you kind of when are the glory going to be back up there again competing? Like it's it kind of feels like it's going to be quite a while again, and that's kind of sad for being a Perth Glory fan in the A-League era, Bryce, which is not a great, it's kind of, you know, it's been slim pickings at at, that for much of the A-League. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, I think overall definitely a disappointing season. Um, But all things considered, I think the biggest positive to take from it is the likes of Steinze and Cal Timmons who didn't get a run and were, you know, obviously had to go to MPL level after Popovich didn't select him in his squads um, for that season. To see them fight back, I think that's the best story and such a huge positive for young lads like them and great people as well. And to see them get their chance has been amazing this year and that's been my favourite thing about the entire season. I definitely share your sentiment there on Killer. Really, really gutted to see him go. I think he's a, he's a great bloke and he did so much on the pitch and off the pitch in terms of lifting standards and, yeah. you know, being... Uh, and lifting everyone else around him, I think a lot of players got better with him around them as well. So really disappointing to see him go in that manner as well. But I think it's a great opportunity for um, Rishi Garcia to you know, mould his own team now, get another transfer window under his belt um, and really you know, crack on from there. But yeah, I'm, look, I'm still excited about it because of the, some of the young WA talent they've got in the squad. Um, and yeah, just, just hopefully we, uh, we get another chance to watch... Uh, uh, El Maestro, Diego Castro in action again for the next season, but we'll just have yeah. to wait and see. Yeah, and that's again the big unknown. That's sort of you know mm. end of an era once he goes, but um, if he goes, well, he's going to go eventually, isn't he? But <laughs> let's wait and see if that happens this year. Um, all right, we're creeping up on the time here, so we'll try and finish up here. We'll get so we got a couple of questions to pose to the listeners from you both, I believe, but. Some big stories in the APL. Not much discussion here. David Moyes has signed a three-year contract extension at West Ham. Fabio Paratici has joined Tottenham as the managing director of football. So I think that's an interesting title. It's not sporting director. It's kind of like, yeah, he is running the day-to-day. I mean, it's not the biggest thing, but it's, it's a signal of intent maybe that Daniel Levy isn't going to be there as much on a day-to-day basis. So I think that's significant. Uh, Daniel Levy has come out and said that, you know, I mean, he doesn't said much, but said what you did expect him to say that Spurs are only going to do what's right for Spurs in regards to maybe the Harry Kane transfer. Uh, United have had a 67 million, 70 pound bid, 70 million pound bid for Jaden Sancho rejected. So apparently the personal terms are sorted out. There's just United and Dortmund uh, teething out what the actual sale price will be. Uh, Nuno Sprito Santo, formerly of Wolves, the manager of Wolves, set to be appointed the new Everton boss. So uh Interesting. I mean, I kind of step think, down for him. You reckon it's a step down? <laughs> oh, maybe. Sorry. No, now I, now I realize. Club, Wolves <laughs> no. are a better team, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bigger club, though. We'll have to wait and see. Everton's got the new stadium coming up. Um, and one vicious rumor was Philip Coutinho potentially to Leicester. So don't know how much I believe it. But anyway, that's kind of the wrap up of the EPL. Uh, but let's get to these questions. Alex, what was the question you wanted to pose to people this week? We challenged you last episode. So what have you got for us? Oh, okay. So this week I've got, again, four answers I need from you. Um, so going back to 2012, the Olympic Stadium in Kiev, final Spain versus Italy. Um, the game resulted in a 4-0 victory for Spain. Can you name me? 
the goal scorers. All right, the goal scorers in Spain's victory in the Euro final. 2012, yeah. All right. So there you go. Listen. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, there you go. There you go, listeners. <laughs> that's that's Grant's question. Uh, maybe I'll add a couple of sound effects in there. We'll make it sound way more exciting. Um, took me ages to think about it. So, <laughs> Bryce, uh, I believe you've got one, eh? All right. So there we go. That's question one. Bryce, hit us. All right, so I got a big shout out to Goran Pandev, who scored for North Macedonia. I think he's been around forever. Uh, obviously, won the yeah he won the Champions League with Inter back in 2010 um, under Mourinho. There, he is 37 and still banging him in on the big stage. So, uh, my question is, who is the oldest player to have scored at the Euros? And it's not Goran Pandev. Right, <laughs> it's so someone, someone older. Ooh. All right, there you go. Who was the eldest player or the oldest player to score at the Euros and who scored Spain's goals in the Euro 2012 final? They're the two questions. We will be answering them, um, yeah, at the start of the next episode, whenever that is, and we will uh, put a call out on Twitter, on Instagram uh, to see if anyone can answer those questions. But I think that's it. I think that's us, boys. Any final comments? Anything we missed? Oh, good. I need to get the pizza oven on. Pizza oven's on. We're being summoned out. All right, Scotland are kicking off. Scotland are kicking off. There we go. It's it's 11 p.m. now here in Sydney. We're going to wrap this up. Uh, We'll review the games in the coming days. Thanks, boys. But thanks, everybody that uh, tuned in. We'll speak to you again very soon. Here comes Alan Shearer. It's Shearer for you.